And there we go. Let me time myself because otherwise we'll be here for two hours. <clears throat> Just kidding. My name is Rosie and I am an alcoholic. Hi, Rosie. I want to thank, uh, hi. I want to thank uh, your meeting for inviting me to come and share with you guys. Uh, good afternoon, good evening, good morning somewhere on the other side of the world. Um, I think Chuck had a lot to do with me being here this afternoon. Thank you. Um, I hear he's been talking me up a storm. I, I want to apologize beforehand. Um, but so I want to I want to uh, wish happy birthday to Michelle. Um, she's been kind of new in one of my meetings and she's taking a seven year cake. And I want to send Dixie a heartfelt hug. I love you, Dixie. Um, and I want to thank everybody that showed up uh, here at this meeting. I hope you guys get to hear something that'll keep you coming back, especially the new people in the meeting. Um, and if you don't hear anything from me, please, please go to another meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. I am a total byproduct of what Alcoholics Anonymous has done for me, uh, with me. <clears throat> and uh, my sobriety date is July 5th of 1992. I just took 29 years of sobriety. Uh, newcomers, please don't let that number uh, do anything for you. Uh, I realize 29 years sounds like a long time. Um, it is a long time. I mean, once I think about 29 years, you know, I, I've grown old here with you. Um, it, it's, a, it's a lot of years, but then yet I, I feel so, so new. Um, and I don't know if it's because I continue to do the, the same things I did when I was new. You know, my routine really hasn't changed all that much. Um, as a matter of fact, I still attend a Thursday night meeting that I got sober at. I stood up new at that meeting and I'm still at that meeting. And so <clears throat> that's the kind of a member that I am. I am a, a regular at my meetings. I have four committed meetings a week that I do. And, um, and I very seldom skip a meeting. I, if, I, if I don't show up, it's because I'm out of town on vacation or, or I'm really sick that I can show up. I show up with headaches and little aches and pain because I sponsor a lot of women and, you know, it's kind of hard to, to skip meetings, you know, just because I have a little headache or I'm not feeling too well. So uh, I'm a shower upper. And, uh, and I'm really grateful that I grew up in Alcoholics Anonymous with that sense of commitment um, I would have to say that the, the you know, the, the, my first sponsor had everything to do with teaching me a sense of reliability and accountability. Um, she was one sponsor that um, gave me the foundation that I have today that I still have. Uh, and she instilled in me um, things like you're as sick as your secrets and service work. I mean, she was so big on that. I think it was the second time I met her, she gave me a commitment in a meeting. I was the literature person and, and she was just like that way. She told me that commitments would not only make me show up to meetings, but it would make me feel useful. And I didn't understand what she was talking about, feeling useful. I don't think I've ever felt useful in my life before getting here. And I can tell you that everything that I do in, in my life, not only in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, have all to do with feeling useful. Um, it, whether I feel like it or not, 
you know, and, and I don't know if there's a big population of new people in this meeting today, but I can tell you that it's not necessarily that I want to be of service, that I like being of service, but I can tell you that the byproduct of being useful in Alcoholics Anonymous affords me a life that sometimes I'm embarrassed to talk about it out loud. If, if, if you guys have been here a while and if you guys are that grateful, you will understand what I'm talking about. Sometimes I'm embarrassed to talk about it out loud because I, this is not even a life that I would have dreamed of because I would have not known it. So I'm going to start by sharing with you guys in a general way, the way that I drank. Um, I think it's very important that when we come to a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous, we, we talk about our drinking because it is important that we identify with each other. This is where I get my energy, my strength, my faith, my trust is when I hear another fellow alcoholics uh, either doing or going through something that, I'm, that I've gone through. Um, we call it identification, our primary purpose here. And, and I hope that, uh, that I never forget that when I'm in a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous that I am to talk about alcoholism. I suffer from a lot of other problems but in a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous, I like sharing about alcoholism. I think it's something that we should do and keep that in mind in every meeting of AA that we go to. There is thousands of different meetings, you know, and if you need to go to other meetings, go to other meetings. But when we are in AA, let's talk about alcoholism. And uh, I'll start by sharing with you guys that I count my first drunk when I was about 16 years old. Uh, not my first drink, but my first drunk that I count. And, um, and I count that because I, I puked. I got really drunk, stupid drunk, um, you know, 16. And well, what, what do I know? And it happened about 7.30 in the morning on my way to high school. And not because I needed to drink, but because my buddy Alex had a bottle of vodka. And um, to tell you a little bit where I grew up, uh, since you guys don't know my story, and there's a lot of people that haven't heard me before. Um, I grew up, I was born and raised in Nicaragua, and that's in Central America. And I came to the United States when I was about 11 years old, and I came not knowing the language, and we were very poor, and we struggled a lot. And so by the time that I got to high school, I, I did speak the language, but I had a lot of hangups. You know, I was bullied, you know, because I was different. You know, we talk a lot about feeling different, you know, all of our lives. I was different. When I first landed in the United States, I landed into a predominantly uh, white American family in El Segundo. And, um, and there was no brown kids in the school and, and uh, hardly any black people in school. And, and so I, I went through all of, the, all of that uh, change. It was drastic. And then we moved to downtown LA where my mom babysat 12 kids at any given time. And we lived in a one studio apartment. And I mean, that's how poor we were. And so by the time that I took my first drink, my first drunk that I count with my buddy Alex, I was being bused from downtown LA to the Valley. That's where I went to high school, Reseda High School. And, um, and I, you know, I immediately loved the effect produced by alcohol. And I can tell you that I like everything that goes with the drinking. As a matter of fact, the theme that I chose today, you know, uh, I think it was Pax who I was uh, chatting back and forth. He wanted me to pick out a theme for the meeting. 
And, you know, he first asked me, what's your favorite line in the big book? I'm like, whoa, <laughs> my favorite line. I can't pick a line. I can't even pick a paragraph. I can't even pick a part of the big book. That's like my favorite because different times, different, uh, you know, we go through different things in, in our sobriety that, that every little thing comes alive at different times. But, but there's always one paragraph that resonates with me. And, and that's in a vision for you. And I'm going to read it for you. So you guys kind of get the gist of the theme today. I don't know if the speakers do this, but I'm going to do it. So on a vision for you, there's that paragraph that's asking, you know, it says, we have shown how we got out from under. You say, yes, I am willing. But am I to be consigned to a life where I shall be stupid, boring, and glum, like some righteous people I see? I know I must get rid of without alcohol, but how can I? Have you a sufficient substitute? You know, and I'm all about having to have a sufficient substitute because I'm all about the party. I'm all about the drinking and I'm all about what comes with the drinking. And so it says, the following paragraph says, yes, there is a sub substitute and it's vastly more than that. It is a fellowship in Alcoholics Anonymous. There you will find release from care, boredom and worry. Wow. Your imagination will be fired. Life will mean something at last. The most satisfactory years of your existence lie ahead. Thus we find the fellowship and, and so will you. And that's, I chose that because right from my first drunk, you know, 7.30 in the morning, I'm drunk with vodka straight out of a bottle, no orange juice. And yes, I love the effect produced by alcohol. And, and I love that I went from, you know, being that poor kid in a one studio apartment to, to this, you know, watch out world, here I come. I, and that's, that's what alcohol did for me. I, I was able to, to do, if I thought it, I, I was doing it, you know, and um, escape. I, I always, I became addicted to being or seeking to be somebody that I wasn't. For the rest of my life, well into Alcoholics Anonymous. And, and I sought that out with desperation. And I didn't know I had this desperation. I didn't know that alcoholic alcohol would allow me to feel something so different and drastic. I mean, I became pretty. I became, you know, in high school, I used to think that I had a heavy accent to read English. And, and I wouldn't read. I would tell the, the teacher I had a sore throat. You know, I just can't read, you know, and, and I felt so less than. I've always felt less than. And coming to America and being a brown child, you know, all of my life, all of my dream was to be white and blonde. And, um, and I can tell you that, that, you know, today I fit in my own skin and I'm totally comfortable what, with what Alcoholics Anonymous have made me. I can look at you in the eye and, and not feel less than, you know, I, I know that I don't know everything and, and I am open to learning and, and I know that I don't have all the answers. I sponsor a lot of women. And when I don't know something, I'm the first one to say, you know, let's call somebody else. And, uh, and I know that today. It wasn't like that when I first got here though. Um, and so I can see that I'm bouncing back and forth. So if I miss on something that I, you know, that I leave off, ask me at the end, okay? I love the Q and A. And so here I am, I'm, I'm drunk and I become addicted to, to that feeling, right? And I immediately come to find out that I love 
the the stands that goes with the drinking, the glasses, the the color of alcohol. I don't just drink beer or, or wine. I didn't like wine. I couldn't afford the good wine, so it always gave me a headache. Wine and champagne, you know. It, it I like straight alcohol, beer back. That that's that was my thing, and uh, and I just started drinking like there was no tomorrow. I found out that I can get a bottle at the local liquor store. Where I was always waited for you guys to buy it for me and. I would have a bottle of vodka in my locker. This is for the next three years in high school, you know, and I'm always willing to share my goods because I want to be accepted. I want to be liked. I'm willing to do whatever it takes for you to like me. And so I would share my bottle. I became that girl that was popular. I would smoke my cigarettes in the bathroom and smoke pot in the parking lot. I Soon after that, I, I learned how to cut class and you know, I've been signing my mom's name on my report card for years, you know, because my mom went to third grade elementary. And so she's like not educated, which I had a huge resentment with, you know, my mom because she I felt that she was so ignorant in many ways. And so I would sign her name ever since I was, you know, 13, 14 years old. That served me well, you know, in high school because I was able to sign everything and uh, and I had a blast. I hardly ever went to high school. I don't even know how I graduated. You know, I, I developed a crush with my counselor, Mr. Anderson, who must have been 100 years old at the time, you know, and I've always had this thing, you know, for white men in suits and, you know, he was tall. I think he was blonde, but I also think he was balding, you know, my, my memory serves me well. And um, I, I stole the picture from the office and I was forever going to the office. I was always being sent to the office just so I can see Mr. Anderson. And I used to send him flowers on Valentine's from your secret admirer. And, and I don't know what, how I, I graduated, you know, sometimes I think he had something to do with getting me out of the school, you know, because um, I don't remember taking algebra. I don't remember taking a lot of classes. I was missing units and I graduated on time and, and, um, and so I can tell you that I drank through my high school years. I was drunk on my graduation. I was drunk in grad night. I can tell you that I uh, sort of got arrested at Disneyland on grad night. I remember being, you know, in this room detained in Disneyland, you know, for smoking pot in one of the rides. And they found bottles, you know, small bottles in my jacket. And, and uh, <laughs> I was a mess. I've always been a mess. Um, but I, you know, I, I didn't suffer the consequences. I didn't really get caught. I was never, I haven't been to jail yet, you know, and I haven't gotten a DUI, although that, although I am eligible for thousands of DUI, cause I always drove drunk and I drove drunk, not because I was, I wanted to be irresponsible, you know, but I drove drunk because I needed my car when I needed my car <clears throat> and I needed to go when I needed to go. And, uh, not once did I ever stop to think, you know, don't drive, don't drink and drive. I just went, you know, and if you came with me to any of the nightclubs and you were not by my car when I was leaving, you were staying. This is before cell phones and beepers. And, you know, I, I just, if you were not by my car, that's the kind of friend that, that I was, you know, out there. So what happened to me, you guys, at the age of 19, I had a, an overdose because I like using drugs as well. And you know, I remember quitting the drugs, you know, because I got really sick at that time. Nobody called 911 and nobody took me to the ER. I came to and I overheard somebody calling me an addict and I don't come from a household like that, you know, and I remember that hurt my feelings. And I remember praying to God and promising to God, you know, that I wasn't going to do drugs anymore. And, you know, so I just drank straight drank and smoked pot because pot was not a drug. And, 
you know, I, I uh, when you don't have anything to enhance your drinking, you're going to go straight into blackouts. And I can tell you that for about five or six years, I had a lot of it, a lot of those blackouts. <clears throat> I would come into different in different places and vacant parking lots and vacant fields. And I remember being scared when I would come to in one of these places, but it wasn't enough to quit drinking or doing something different. You know, I remember that I would come to and I'd be really afraid and I wouldn't want to share with anybody. And these are, I'm not the kind of person that shares the stuff that happened the night before or anything that would be embarrassing to me. And so as a result from that, you guys, I, I, I was pretty messy, a messy drunk during those years. I remember going to work drunk or heavily hungover. I remember one time coming into work with clusters of pizza on my sweater because grandma and pizza didn't mix well. And, you know, and I went to work like that. And, you know, I was just an embarrassment. You know, I, I remember being the assistant to a controller, having, you know, ladies that worked in accounts payable and receivables. And I was in charge of those departments and even human resource. And I drank with all these ladies and, you know, the boss, they would hide me from my boss, which in my story, you know, I, when I go back and I take an inventory of, of what happened, I can see that there were, there were people, a lot of people always trying to save me trying to help me, you know, trying to hide me from the boss, you know, and so I wouldn't get in trouble. And I I've always had a God in my life. And I remember praying to that God, you know, because I would come to in the morning and I didn't know if I drove my own car home, I would come to and look at the ceiling to see if it was my own house. And, um, you know, and when it was, I would, you know, jump out of bed and go check my car. And there it was nicely parked, no dents, you know, and uh, I don't know how I pulled that for so many years, but, but I can tell you that, that here I am. And so <clears throat> what happened is that looking back through inventories, because I don't know this, I don't know this when I come here, you know, I come to you guys in full flight from reality. You know, I can't differentiate the true from the false. I'm not even an alcoholic when I got to you guys. You know, so so the stories that I'm telling you right now is a total byproduct of inventories and meetings of Alcoholics Anonymous where you guys have, you know, allowed me to relearn and remember where I came from, because there was a lot of things that I've been in total blackouts and gradually I've gotten my memory back. And so what happened was that um, looking back through inventories, I come to find out that I've always continued to hang around with the same people and in the same playgrounds. And when you do that, you're, you know, you're going to eventually pick up again. And I can tell you that if you hang around with ducks, you eventually quack. And, and that's what happened to me at the age of 25. I'm hanging around with the same people and, you know, drugs got passed on again. And, and so I took them up and between the ages of 25 to 29, I can tell you that, that, you know, that was my, my bottom. And we talk a lot about bottoms here, you know, and, and I can tell you that your a bottom is when you say that that's your bottom. You know, you don't have to continue to dig anymore. You know, I, I, I sit before you here tonight, uh, this afternoon, without uh, any DUIs in my jacket, you know, without really getting to a lot of trouble. But nevertheless, I lost myself behind the bottle of alcohol. My, I had no self-esteem and no self-worth. And I imagine that I grew up with, with some of that. I, I imagine that my mom and, you know, my dad died when I was eight. He died of alcoholism. My mom never remarried. I'm the youngest of seven. And I can tell you that, you know, somewhere in there, I, I am sure that I, you know, I was educated and, and uh, I came from good family. And, and uh, I don't know where I lost 
the sense of self in there when I when I started drinking, you know, and any any kind of dignity went went through the window. I, I became that person that was willing to do whatever it took. And so what happened is that um, I started hitting my bottom in all those years, and I quickly shacked up with a drug dealer friend of mine that was married at the time and. He was supposed to get divorced, never got divorced. You know how the story goes. I'm one of those people and uh, one of those, I'm one of them. And um, and I can tell you that, that I know what pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization is. It's something that I didn't need to look up. I, I, I understand what that is. And during my last three years out there, I can tell you that I lived that way. I started drinking by myself. I started drinking in the morning and I don't mean 2 a.m. I'm talking 6 a.m., 7 a.m. to get up. Um, <clears throat> and um, I had coming from a, a Latin background, you know, and, and I don't know if you guys in, in London have a lot of Latin people there, but, you know, we, we, we spit out kids like every week. You know, we have a lot of kids, you know. And, and there's always a celebration, you know, whenever somebody's being born and somebody dies and somebody gets fired and somebody gets a promotion at work, there's always parties and there's always drinking behind all of that. And that's the kind of household I grew up in. And I'm the youngest of seven. So, you know, there's a lot of kids there going on, you know, and, and baptism and any reason to drink, we drank. And so um, by the time that I, that I was hitting my bottom, I, I, I almost stopped going to the house. You know, I had moved in with this guy that I didn't even like, by the way, he was not my, he was not my choice. He was not, he was not somebody that, that I would have gone out with, you know, I mean, to, to put it politely, I don't know if it's polite, the guy was in the ugly side, you know, I, a guy could not even dance, you know, and, and, uh, but I, he had something that I wanted. And so I was with this guy, you know, and that's how I hit my bottom with this guy in, in, in this place. And, and, uh, and I can tell you that it was awful. And uh, and I had these things that if I ever drank by myself, I needed to be careful. If I ever drank in the morning, you know, I needed to pay attention. I had, you know, sometimes people talk about invisible lines, you know, if you will. I don't know about invisible lines. I, My first drunk, my first drink, you know, that I could get, I got drunk right away. I, I, I don't remember if I, I don't know about crossing a line for me. I, I became, I drank, I liked it, and I got drunk as, as quick as I could, as many times as I, I could. I just, I lived for that. And then I ended up in the bars and I loved nightclubbing and dancing. And, you know, I felt that whenever I had three, four, five drinks, you know, in me, I can come to the nightclub. And I felt like you guys would like part ways and stop what you were doing and allow me to walk in. I, I, at least I felt that way, you know, and I felt that whenever I was in the dance floor, you guys would like, you know, make room for me to just dance, you know, and, and that's how I felt, you know, and, and, um, as I'm hitting my bottom, I'm, I'm in this, this headspace and I'm already drinking by myself and drinking on the floor. I love mariachi music. And, you know, I can tell you that I would just get drunk and cry and, you know, and, and listen to the music and, and uh, you know, unplug the phone and close the curtains. And, you know, I, at times in the morning, I couldn't get from my house. I lived across two liquor stores on, on in Downey and, um, and I can tell you that I have the money, that, that I can go get the booze at six o'clock in the morning when the liquor store opened, but I, I couldn't cross the street, you know, like my head was sober, 
you know, and, but my legs, my, my physical body was drunk. I had been up all, all night long, you know, doing the drugs and drinking all night. And I needed to get the bottle just to get to work. And I couldn't cross the street, you know, and I don't know if you guys have ever experienced this, but it wasn't once or twice. I, I was, I lived like this. I live like this. And, um, and thank God, I never want to forget where I come from. This is why it's a good idea that when you get asked to talk in a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous, you recall your story, you know, because I, I can tell you that I, even though it's been 29 years in between drinks, I can tell you how I felt. I can tell you the feeling of standing in a corner, having money to go buy booze, the liquor store about to open and I can't move. And, um, and I can tell you that, you know, the times where I couldn't brush my teeth and, and the times that I needed to get that drink just to get to the car, you know, uh, pot helped me a lot, you know, and, and I can tell you what it is to be driving with one eye open, you know, when I, when I closed trying to focus, you know, and, and I would drive about 25, 30 minutes to work every morning. And I uh, gave up all my good, my good jobs. I ended up working in downtown LA at a ballroom hostess place where men come to pay to dance with women there. And my job was there was in the morning from 10 a.m. to 7 p.m. And my job was to answer the phone to hire the women that work there at night. And I was able to score my dope there and I was able to drink all day long. I can tell you that it was only 30 minutes from my house and I could no longer drive straight home. I had to pull along the freeway to get a pull from the bottle or a hit of whatever it is that I was doing. And I, and I lived like that for about three, four years, you know, and uh, I could no longer get to my house and my poor mom, you know, my mom, a lot of my siblings drink, you know, um, we're not supposed to say, you know, who's an alcoholic and who's not. I can tell you that half of my siblings need to be here and, um, and they're not. Um, and so, um, I can tell you that I put my mom through hell, you know, when I was young, you know, she would, you know, stay up all night long, you know, praying her beats, you know, praying for her little girl to come home, you know, and, and sometimes I would come home and sometimes I didn't come home. And sometimes I came home at six o'clock in the morning to find her with her eyes swollen from crying all night long, you know, and then as I got older, you know, during my bottom, I can tell you that my mom always waited for me to come. Being the youngest of seven, and, and I'm the only single one, and the, the only one that didn't have kids in the family, I, I was always the one preparing the parties and being there and, and trying to be all things to all people, you know, and, and during my last three years of being out there, I couldn't show up. I was so afraid of showing up and having a beer and not knowing what to do after that. I, I became, you know, you know, Hilda says, I'm predictable to myself. You know, and, and I think that fits me because I, I think that I didn't want to go to my family because I didn't know what I was going to do and what was going to happen. And um, when you're that visible in your family, they miss you. You know, they miss you. And and um, and I became that MIA person. And uh, so what happened to me, you guys, in November of 1991, <clears throat> it was a Sunday. I know my days. I remember my days because my car drove me to different nightclubs, different nights. And on Wednesdays, we would go to the Quiet Cannon and on Thursdays, we'd go to the Grand and Fridays, we'd go to the Mayan and on Sundays, we'd go to Stephen's Steakhouse. This was a Sunday because I ended up at Stephen's Steakhouse. And, and I started drinking with my brother from 12 noon until about 9.30 p.m. that Sunday. 
And uh, he had just gone back from my country and they brought back some rum. We were famous for our rum back in Nicaragua. And I had just gone back from Ecuador and the Galapagos Island. And I brought back some sugar cane syrupy alcohol, homemade. I don't know if you guys have ever had any homemade alcohol and that syrupy and that thick thickness of alcohol going down and it comes up for once and it comes up for twice, but then you get it down and it's the best thing that ever happened. You know, I, I talk about this all the time and I always, I always salivate, you know, when I think about it. And, um, and my brother and I started drinking from 12 noon and my brother's a lot bigger than I am, you know, and he got up to leave at 930 and I don't say anything to him because my mother always thought that he drove better when drinking, you know, we always went to these camping trips and whenever my brother was falling asleep, my mom would say, give Mario a beer, you know, he's falling asleep and I kid you not, you know, we can't make this stuff up and, you know, he got up to leave and I don't think anything, you know, he left and I went dancing and my brother that night totaled his van, he hit the center divider and hit the wall on the right hand side on the 101 and the 5 freeway and uh, he got sentenced to go to Alcoholics Anonymous and uh, the next morning, he called me and asked me if I would go and pick up the van, you know, with him. And I said, of course. And we came home with $50 in the back seat of that van. That van was completely destroyed. And I looked at the van and I looked at my brother and I couldn't believe he had walked away from that car wreck, you know, and he had a burnt from the seatbelt and a swollen chin from when he hit the center divider, the wheel came up and hit, hit his chin. And he was able to walk away from that car wreck, you know, but his van was completely destroyed. And my brother didn't stay sober right away. And he started going to AA in January of 1992. And I'm still at this looser job that I had where all I needed, well, I did was answer the phone. And, and my brother called me up the first time and he said, I just went to my first meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous and those people are crazy. You know, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and pay somebody to sign my court card. You know, would you, would you, you know, do you want that job? And I don't know what he's talking about. I've never been to AA. And my brother tells the story because I don't remember talking to my brother at all. And my brother says that I told him that I had heard Alcoholics Anonymous worked. And he says that I reminded him that he always walked around our house saying he was a drunk and that he was an alcoholic. And, and I told him all this, you know, apparently, you know, and I've never been to AA. I don't know why I would tell my brother that, you know, AA worked. I don't know anything. And my brother started going to a, a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. And <clears throat> by the third meeting, you had him. You had him. My brother became your biggest cheerleader and he couldn't wait to tell me about it, you know, and uh, and he had an audience with me because I was at this looser job. You know, we talk about seconds and inches here. We talk about, don't, you know, don't leave before the miracle happened. We talk about, you know, pay attention, be awake, you know, in, in meetings of Alcoholics Anonymous. And so it, all I can tell you is this. My brother told me that, um, you know, he started sharing his morning attitude adjustment meeting with me, you know, and I'm at the other end of the phone and I am drinking and I am using and I am crying because I'm identifying with what he's saying, but I can't utter the words, you know, I need AA2 or nothing. You know, my brother keeps telling me that I should go to a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous, that I'm going to love AA. I'm thinking my brother is crazy. You know, my brother starts talking about God. Now, you know, it was God and AA. He was just so lit and we know God, we're Catholics. We, we go to Palm Sunday, you know, at least once a year. And, and this guy talks about God, God, God. And, you know, we started mocking him. He's the only boy in our family. And, you know, we're elbowing each other and, and uh, we're just making fun of him, you know, cause he wouldn't shut up. 
He promptly came home and gave all the siblings big books. <laughs> he passed him out like it was candy. And uh, we just started laughing, you know, because we didn't know what, what he was doing. And, you know, um, my brother, <clears throat> my brother called me every single morning after his morning meeting and, you know, and he started sharing with me how he felt when he drank and why he drank and the passing out and the blacking out. And I'm at the other end and, and listening. I'm listening to all this. You guys call this the, lang the language of the heart. I don't know about anything else. I want to tell my brother, you know, but I don't air out my dirty laundry. I'm not used to it. I come from a family that we don't talk about anything that matters. You know, I, we push everything under the carpet. The elephant sits in our living room and we can't see anything, you know, and and that's the way it still is, you know, I, that's how we grow up. I mean, I don't know anything. Everything that I know that's decent about me, I learned it here with you, you know, and and so my brother is at it, you know, and he did, had no idea he was 12-stepping me. He didn't mean to 12-step me. My brother is sharing like a newcomer would, you know, you ask a newcomer how they're doing, you know, and they come up for air, you know, and then, you know, after a little while they go, and then, you know, and that's what he was doing. You know, he started telling me how my dad died of alcoholism and I don't know this, you know, my dad died at the age of 49 and he drank every day. And my brother just started telling me I had siblings from other, you know, my, my dad had cheated on my mom so many times and I got all these siblings that I don't know about. And he had diarrhea of the mouth, you know, and, and, and in doing so, you know, he started, uh, you know, sharing with me what you guys were sharing with him. And my brother ended up taking a trip and he said, you know, before I leave, you know, you had to go to a meeting of AA and pick up a directory. A directory is going to show you the different types of meetings that we have. And I can assure you, sister, he said that you're going to love AA. And um, my brother took a trip. And, um, and I ended up on a Tuesday night at the second chance meeting in Downey. I don't know how I got there. And Sue Tudor is here, and uh, she probably was at that meeting because she went there on a consistent basis on a Tuesday night. And it's across the street from a bar that I used to drink at. And I remember being embarrassed of walking into my first meeting of AA. Mind you, I'm a peer. I pee all over your front lawns any day, any time. But here I am embarrassed to walk into a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous, you know. And, and I remember waiting in my car for your meeting to be over. And it's a Tuesday night and I'm wearing my black leather mini skirt, my hi-fi boots, my little tube top, because I'm going to go dancing. You know, that's what I do. You know, when, when all hell is breaking loose, I'm going to go dancing. You know, even in sobriety, you know, my house is on fire, you know, and I'm going to vacuum. You know, that's that's what I do when my house is on fire. You know, I it's not calling the sponsor and it's not getting an answer or going into prayer, God forbid. You know, I'm just going to ignore it. And, uh, and here I am, I show up to that meeting and, and I'm bloated 165 pounds because I'm drinking everything under the moon beer back. And when you drink beer 24-7, you're going to be a little chunky. <laughs> and, and I have no neck. My, my chin used to like touch my boobs, you know, it's like I call it my bullfrog. <laughs> I look like a bullfrog, you know what I mean? And, uh, and I have no toenails due to malnutrition. And I don't know any of that. This is before acrylics, ladies. You know, I always like to say that's a vision for you. You know, no toenails. And uh, it, it was awful. And uh, but I'm going to go dancing, you know. And and I remember, you know, seeking the literature table where my brother told me to pick up a directory. And Marguerite was standing next to the literature purse, literature table, you know, doing her commitment. And I don't know about you guys. I, 
I normally, you know, get to the meeting, you know, just when it starts and I leave just when it ends, you know, and this lady was there after the meeting doing her commitment, you know, and I asked her for a directory and she gave me one and I handed her $5 because I knew you poor people needed the money, you know, and, and uh, she laughed out loud. She says, honey, you know, it's free for you. You know, you're new. And I, you know, I don't know how she would tell that I was new, you know, but, you know, I, uh, I took the directory and I took one look around and there were beautiful ladies there with their beehives do and beautiful jewelry. And I already told you what I look like. And, you know, I thought to myself, there's another place I don't fit, you know, and, and I took the directory and I looked it up and I thought you guys only met, you know, once a week. So the following Tuesday, I ended up in a meeting that's only five minutes away from Downey in Norwalk, you know, and I found a biker meeting and I found you guys to be a little dirty and a little crusty. And I thought to myself, man, I can be maybe I can be helpful here, you know, <laughs> and uh, this is who you are as a speaker, man, you know, in full flight from reality. Doc, the, the, you know, the doctor's opinion talks about, you know, about that, you know, mental outright defective is what, you know, he calls me. And, uh, and here I am, you know, I, I get to that meeting and uh, I sit down for a minute and I hear that your treasurer guy had gone to prison by his own admission. And I thought, man, you guys are some kind of stupid. You know, you've got your treasure guy that gone to prison, you know, taking your money. And I, you know, for a, a minute, I thought you guys really need a lot of help, you know. And so, you know, the old timers don't bat an eye. And I love the old timers in meetings of Alcoholics Anonymous that they don't wait to be asked. You know, they come right up and they gave me a coffee commitment, you know, and I thought, well, you're keeping my brother sober. The least I can do is come make coffee for you poor people. That was my attitude. I'm riddled with false pride. I'm riddled with my ego, uh, and and uh, and I don't know this, right? I'm just thinking that you guys need help, and and so I get there, and you know, making coffee for you allowed me to feel useful. <laughs> There's that word again, useful, and uh, and you know, I thought that reiterated that you needed my help, you know. So I came to make your coffee, and and I didn't drink in between meetings, you guys. This is very important for us not to drink or use between meetings. You know, I, I did have a lot of detox uh, symptoms and, and it was ugly. I, I had the cold sweats and the fear, the paralyzing fear that didn't leave my, the, it didn't leave me for a few days. It, this was 24 seven. You know, I had the cold sweats and the nightmares and, and I was afraid and I was afraid of, I can't tell you what I was afraid of. I was just afraid. And um, I didn't know what to tell my family. I told them that I had food poisoning, you know, my sister thought I had gas problems. So, I, you know, she gave me my Lanta for my first 90 days. It works. It really does. And, you know, we talk about being ignorant of the disease of alcoholism. You know, I don't know that alcoholism happens when I'm not drinking, you know, because see, when I'm drinking, there's nothing wrong, right? You know, I'm, I'm drunk. I don't care about anything. So nothing is wrong. You know, my problems begin when I, when I'm not drinking. And that's when my problems began. And I kept coming back to that meeting. And within three months, you guys, I must have found out that I was a bookkeeper by trade because you made me your secretary. And I intuitively knew you wanted me to audit that guy that was still taking your money. And I started watching the receipts and the money and recounting and the baskets. And all in my head, I was thinking is that if you were keeping my brother sober, the least I can do is watch your money. You know, I'm still, you know, my case is different. You know, I'm not like you. I haven't been to jail yet. I haven't been to institutions. I haven't been in a mental institution. I haven't been this. I haven't been that. And, you know, the reality of things is that I was in full flight from reality. If you would have asked me about any of my story, I would have said, that's not me. 
you know, and, uh, but for the grace of a loving God, right? You know, I, I, uh, it wasn't that I stayed until the miracle happened and that's not my story. I didn't know that I needed to be here. Within nine months, a lady named Anne came and shared with us for a minute, and she shared she had embezzled this this money, <laughs> and uh, and that was my moment for me. I had been, you know, away from alcohol and drugs for nine months. I had been praying a prayer just for today for for nine months. I've been doing the Our Father after the meeting, and I'm not fellowshipping. I don't have a sponsor, and. Uh, I remember that her sharing a little chunk of my story allowed me that identification that took me to a place where all everything that I just shared with you came at me at once. All of the memory, my mother's face, all of the drunk drivings, all of the nightclubbing, all the indecent things, all the inappropriate things, all the drug selling, all the all the it's just all the information that I just share with you guys in a general way came at me at once. And um and this, this was the moment of clarity for me. And, and I didn't have a sponsor and I didn't have a fellowship about me. And, and I went straight into fear. And uh, within a few weeks, uh, God disguised himself as a cute guy. You know, <clears throat> I don't know if you guys have cute guys in England, but this, this little white boy came and uh, invited me to go play volleyball at the speaker meeting, you know, the following Thursday night. I've never been to a speaker meeting in my life. And I've only gone to participation meetings. And I swear to God, I did not care for the meeting. I just wanted to go play volleyball. You know what I mean? I had lost my bloat. I'm wearing my little hot short shorts, my little tube top. My neck is out. I'm ready to go play ball. You know what I mean, Suzanne? You know, I just wanted to go play ball, right? And uh, here here I am at that speaker meeting. And uh, I would throw cookies at you to make you feel like I was a member, you know? And I had to stay for the speaker because if you don't stay for the speaker, you look bad. I don't like looking bad. So I would stay for the speaker and uh, about a month after that, you know, Betty Garcia showed up and this lady stood up in the podium, you know, doing very much what I'm doing tonight here with you guys, you know, and she shared from the podium that she, all she aimed in life was to be of maximum service to God and the fellows about her. She said the third step prayer and the seven step prayer from the podium and she, she sat down and recited uh, the poem by the touch of the master's hand when she ended her pitch. And, um, and I followed this lady into her home group. You know, I immediately asked her uh, if, you know, I didn't ask her for her number. I gave her my number. I gave her a little spill, like, you know, I normally don't do this, you know, like I was asking her out, you know, <laughs> it was like, I normally don't do this, but you can have my phone number. And this lady called me the next day, you know, and God bless her heart, you know, and I'm sitting next to this lady the following Saturday in her home group, the Torrance Lomita Alano Club. By the way, my home group's name is Bellflower Big Book Group. We meet on Monday night, 7.30. I don't know if I said that in the beginning, but it is very important for me to tell you that I I do have a very active home group. I'm proud of my home group. It's the light of my life. We just went live. Uh, my sponsor's name is Sharon Brooks, and I am totally current with her. Very important for me to tell you that. You know, I don't want to ever forget, you know, uh, the three things, my sobriety date, my, my home group, and my sponsor. Um, and so here I am in, 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 in this meeting with Betty Garcia, you know, and I'm thinking, you know, something is going to happen to me. And I can tell you that I have never been the same since, you know, this lady asked me, she gave me the keys to the locker because they needed a literature person. I tried to tell her that it was 20 minutes from my house and it was too far. <laughs> and so she laughed out loud and gave me the keys to the locker. 
And I'm like, oh my God, you know, and, and I'm so glad that I was naive enough that I didn't leave the keys at the Alano Club or, you know, take the keys, don't come back or throw the keys at her. That I was naive enough to take the keys and, and I became the literature person for the following two years, you know, and and I can tell you that that my life changed. Um, this lady the following Saturday asked me if I've taken a, an inventory and I told her I didn't know what that was and she lit up <laughs> and she started, you know, uh, the, she started reading the big book out loud to me and she would sit me down at that bench, you know, about a block away from that club and she started reading the big book out loud and I remember thinking this lady must think I can read. Why is she reading the big book out loud to me, you know? And, and then she would repeat herself. She would say things like, you know, selfishness and self-centeredness is the root of all your troubles. And she'd stare at me like for 30 seconds. And I'm thinking, oh my God, who reads like that? You know, it's like, this is, you guys are so weird, you know? And, um, and God bless her heart, you know? And I did an inventory. She wanted my resentment, my fear, my sex inventory. And then she wanted a list of my secrets, you know? She said I needed to share and, and let all that out because, you know, you're as sick as your secrets. And I can tell you that it wasn't the money that I embezzled that kept me away from you, you know, apart from the world. You know, it was the nickel and dime stuff that it was in my secrets, you know, trying to commit suicide at the age of 10, you know, being abused as a child, being, you know, bullied in, in my junior high school years. You know, I had this big secret of, of being bullied and these kids in, in, the, in front of the people from school in the middle of Pico and Vermont, which is a busy intersection by the school, uh, made me kneel before them. And I can tell you that that was a dark secret for me, you know. Um, I was embarrassed to do that. I, I, I'm Catholic. We don't kneel before anybody. And, uh, and I remember that, that that afternoon I was robbed one more time of a little chunk of my soul. You know, I, I know that when I was young, you know, the, the little chunks of my soul were stolen. But as I started growing up in my alcoholism, I started giving away chunks of my soul. It became a lot easier, you know, and uh, and it was the nickel and dime stuff like that that kept me feeling like a cockroach. And um, as I gave her everything, you know, she told me what to do with my six and seven step. And, you know, when I got up from taking that seven step prayer, you know, and giving God everything that I had, I did not want to hold on to any of my defects. I didn't, you know, I didn't think of, you know, keeping anything, man. I, I was just as honest as I could be. My sponsor is the type of sponsor that will ask me if I have anything to share with her. Am I keeping anything? You know, it, one of her favorite questions was, is there anything I should know? Um, and that's the kind of sponsorship I grew up with. And this is how I sponsor the women that I sponsor. I, I don't just, I'm not concerned just with how you do your meetings in AA. I am concerned with how you live at home. I am concerned about your debt. I am concerned about how you treat your husbands or your significant others. I am concerned how you are in traffic. I am concerned how you are at work. And, and that comes from somebody that I am guilty in all those areas. You know, stealing for me was was something that kept on even into sobriety. You know, that that took a little bit more work. So it's not that that I sit here, you know, in, in some kind of judgment. You know, I, I just can tell you that I am a little bit broken <laughs> and it's taking, you know, 29 years, you know, to patch some of those little cracks, you know, but nevertheless, I'm still cracked. And um and so I, I uh, went back to Betty and I was elated. I understood why my brother gave all of us big books. I'm, I'm out to save the world. I, I just want everybody to come to AA and sing Kumbaya, you know, and, 
And uh, that lasted for about a week. And, uh, you know, she asked me for my list of people that I that I thought I needed to make amends because that's how she worded, you know, a list of people that I thought I needed to make amends. And I brought it to her the following week and she looked at the list and she said, where's that guy that you embezzled seven grand from? And I know the amount because I filed taxes on it. I hope you don't judge me too hard in London, but, you know, I, I, I filed taxes on the money I stole and um I told her, I says, what are you talking about? She says, you know, we we make, you know, amends here for everything. And she she was like a big book person. And she took me to the big book where it says, if you're willing to go to any length, you know, to stay sober, sometimes we may face jail. I'm like, holy crap. You know, it's like, oh, my God. I run back to my, you know, downy meetings and talking to the older old timers. And I would say to them, can you believe my sponsor wants me to do this? And waiting for them to say, you know, you don't have to do that. You know, we don't. That's too much, you know. And thank God that I didn't find anybody like that. You know, thank God that the people that I went to told me that I needed to start trusting somebody and, and that my sponsor was a good place to start, you know, and and thank God for that, you know. And, and so I came back and uh, not right away. I, I went to God and I said, God, if you don't make me make this amends, I'm going to go feed the homeless for a year, you know. And I started making hot dogs and burgers, started passing them out in Skid Row, downtown L.A., you know, waiting for a sign. By this time, AA has given me a real job and a real lunch and you know I found myself reading the other good book that I like reading sometimes and it opened up to the page where it says before you come to my altar make sure your debts are paid and then I was screwed right and so um, I, I got it you know and so I started uh, a little uh, savings and a payment plan and you know I um I, uh, I made the appointment finally after, you know, praying to become willing to make this amends. And, you know, I met with this guy on a Friday morning and I told him that I'd stole this money from the company. And, you know, this is easier sharing this with you 27 years later, you know, via Zoom. But I can tell you that uh, it was nerve wracking. I thought I was going to go to jail and uh, my legs were trembling and I was, you know, in tears telling him, you know, that that. Um, is it OK to take about five more minutes? or three more minutes? Yes, Bob says yes. I'm gonna time myself so then I don't abuse this. I understand, five minutes. Thank you. So here I am at this, uh, uh, you know, trying to make amends to an ex boss of mine and, you know, and I'm, and I'm shattering in nerves and I'm thinking I'm gonna go to jail and I take out my $350 cash that I had and he looked at the money and looked at me and he says, what are you doing? I says, these people in AA are telling me that I need to pay my debts, otherwise I'm gonna get drunk. And I heard myself saying for the first time in my life and I never wanna drink again. And, and this is a time that I mark as, as me coming to admit to my inner self that I was an alcoholic. Because for me, it took action. I just didn't come to you guys and said, I'm done with drinking. For me, it took action, okay? And so, you know, he goes, I can't take your money, Rosie. You out of anybody knows how many times my kids have broken into my own home to steal from me and they've never come to tell me the truth. You out of anybody knows how many times my wife I've been missing in action, you know, and, and she's never sat me down. And, you know, if you don't mind, you know, you and I can work something out in form of work. And then, you know, maybe a big book for my wife, he said, you know, one of those books for my wife. And, you know, and, and I ended up, you know, uh, coming back to work with this guy, you know, at no pay in my extra time for the following couple of years, you know, on my weekends and, and nights and trying to repay a debt, you know, and, and it wasn't so much that, but I was able to walk in the same 
same place, same factory, same office, same computers, you know, to do this. And I know it doesn't mean anything to any of you guys, but I know that I can tell you that actions like this have put myself back together where I'm able to fit in my own skin today, that I'm able to walk upright today. I flew to Florida to make amends to a niece of mine that I had been very mean to when she was little. And after each amends, my sponsor said, make sure and ask them if you've left anything out. Well, this young lady went to town with me, you know, and care that you sober, you know, get out, you know, and thank God for living amends because I was taught to make living amends. And I would send my cards and my letters to this young lady. And every time I take a cake in Alcoholics Anonymous, I send a letter of where I've been the year before. And, you know, and I would send little gifts to her kids, you know, and sometimes they would come, you know, back, you know, wrong address because she wouldn't share her address with me. And I would send it to my sister, you know, her mom. And, you know, about 15 years ago, you know, I got a call from Jackie and Jackie's calling me to let me know that, you know, she's got all the letters and she knows that I've been in AA all this time and she's got nine months of sobriety and she was calling to make her amends to me. You know, this young lady used to send me e hate emails, you know, and I don't know what to do with hate emails. You know, I would send it to my sponsor and, you know, she would just say, you know, just answer her back and say that I'm sorry you're having a bad day. Know that I love you anyway, you know, and thank God that I followed direction, you know, because Jackie later on was to to be a sober member of AA. And she said one of the things that she wanted to make make clear to me that she was most grateful for is that she always knew where to find me. So, you know, if you've heard of anything that I have said, you know, this evening, you know, making living amends, it's worth a million, a million, million, 10 times, you know, because this is, this is where the juice is. We continue to make living amends. You know, I made living amends with my mother, you know, a simple mumbling of an I'm sorry doesn't fit the bill. You know, with my mom, I was able to have a conversation with her and my mom remembered a lot of things. And, you know, when I asked her if there was anything that she wanted to share with me, you know, she, she shared things with me from the heart. She saw me doing drugs and I didn't know she ever saw me doing drugs, you know, and, and she saw me doing a lot of things that a mom should never see her kid do, you know, and Alcoholics Anonymous allowed me her last 15 years of life, you know, making amends to my mom. And I treated my mom like she was the queen of the house, you know, and, I would just carve time out for my mom where I put her music on and I would let her repeat her stories and I quit fighting my mom. If it was 90 degrees out and, you know, and she wanted me to wear a sweater, I wore the goddamn sweater. You know what I mean? I just, I quit fighting her, you know, and, and Alcoholics Anonymous did that for me. My mom would bring me my cake every Thursday night, you know, every year on my Thursday night meeting, you know, and the first years when she was gone, it was hard, you know, because my mom came for years to give me my cake in AA. She loved Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, and she would make food for you guys. And she was just so happy that you guys were keeping her little girl. And um, 23 years ago, I met my husband in, the, in my Thursday night meeting. That's why I'm still at the Thursday night meeting, you know, and I can tell you that, that I live a life. I'm not the marrying kind of girl. I don't know what loyalty and faithfulness you know, mean, you know, I never knew that. I never knew that I can keep those vows. And I know that with the help of the women and men in Alcoholics Anonymous, I've been able to not only get married, but be happily married. You know, I respect him and I adore him. He's a, he's a sober member of Alcoholics Anonymous and we share this life here in our home and we get to do this together, you know, and I hope the same for you. I hope that you guys keep coming back. I know I will. Thank you so much for letting me share. Thank <laughs> you.